Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Another deadline which is coming up, of course, is next week, and that is the uh, uh, legalization of cannabis, which is going to be happening, of course. And we've talked about that over the last couple of days on the show about the implications, and there are many, of course, uh, uh, enforcement, uh, distribution, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But what about cannabis in the workplace? What about people that are using it and still have to go to work? And among those, of course, are our first responders, including Hamilton Police. Uh, a number of police services are wrestling with this issue right now. Uh, Toronto, the RCMP, so many others, and of course Hamilton Police Services. Now, as of today, they have yet to do a, actually have announced a policy on this. But the uh, police service is uh, looking at this right now, and there are some ramifications to this uh, for the frontline officers and everybody else involved in Hamilton Police Services. I want to bring uh, Clint Twollin into the uh, conversation. He's the president, of course, of the Hamilton Police Association, as he joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Thanks for the time, Clint. Good to have you on the show again today. No, thanks for having me. Where, where I assume you be uh, uh, talked about here that as they are trying to develop a policy on this. Are you at the table here to try to develop this and get some idea and some 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 substance to what's going on here? Uh, no, I'm not at the table. Uh, I have had discussions with the chief. I reached out to him uh, a little while ago, asking the status of where the policy was at, if one had been developed, um, and I have had some informal talks with him, but as far as formal talks sitting down at a table, no, I've not been part of that. Are your members concerned about this? Um, well, it has an effect on them, so uh, it's not something that, uh, it's, it's funny because um, while legalization is coming just around the corner, it's, it's, it's not a hot button topic so much for the officers from the standpoint of they you know they're they're anxious and they and and they need information i think uh we're taking a, a much more pragmatic approach as far as uh you know it, it's going to be legal and uh we're no different than anybody else and so uh we're going to be responsible and do what we always do so being, you know, um, the not having the policy out right now, I don't think it's, it's a, a big concern for our front line. You are like everybody else, but on another level, though, Clint, you are different. I mean, you are held to a higher standard, and 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 I guess that's got to be factored into this as well. Yeah, we are held to a higher standard, and and we expect that from every one of our employees, both sworn and civilian. Mm-hmm. So. I don't see this, uh, again, I think this is a little bit, uh, we're chasing the boogeyman here a little bit because um, I, I don't see this as being any different than any of the other either, well, I will say legal substances, uh, if you're looking at alcohol or you're looking at uh, any of the opioids. I mean, our officers are no different than anybody else. They suffer injuries. They're prescribed medications. Uh, we expect them to come to work fit for duty and not be abusing the substances that they're, they have legal access to as well. I'm glad you put it in that perspective because I, I, I think we need to have that discussion and maybe the public needs to be aware of the fact that, uh, that, that you know, let's face it, I mean, you're, you're human beings like everyone else is and, and there may be people that use this. And, and again, I'm not one of these people that are saying, oh my God, when it comes legal, everybody's going to run out and start smoking pot now. Uh, that's not going to happen. But uh, there may be people that would uh, be using this stuff, and obviously if they have to put a uniform on, whether they be a, a first responder in police services or fire or, or, or paramedics, whatever the case might be, you just used a phrase called fit for duty, and I guess that's really the, that's, that's the key phrase here, and I guess the definition of that is, is, is probably what they're wrestling with here. 
Well, and it's but the the thing is, Bill, it's already laid out with the Police Services Act, Occupational Health and Sa- Safety. Uh, our frontline officers know through policy and procedure. Um, this is nothing new, and I, I like I said, I, I I'm a little surprised by the, the anxiety that's that, that seems to be um, forming here because our officers are they they know what they're what's what's expected of them. They're going to come to work and they're going to be fit for duty. I don't expect any less, and I don't think they do either. So, with that in mind, then uh, how do you define fit for duty, or is that really for you to define? Well. You're going to be expected to be in a in a condition in in which you can perform your duties, and um, you know I don't think it's a really there's a lot of variation to the definition. Um, if there's any signs of impairment whatsoever, we're well aware as and and me being a road supervisor when I am back at work, uh, like uh, on the service, I would expect every, each and every one of my officers to show up, being able to perform their duties and to to show absolutely no signs of impairment. And impairment, again, um, that's that is the more subjective issue here. So for 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 the definition itself, for me, it's really quite simple. When you show up for work, you have to show up in a condition that you're able to properly conduct your duties. And uh, based on the fact that we're driving uh, um, police cruisers, we're carrying guns, we're carrying use of force options, I expect each and every one of those officers to be able to do their jobs without any any substances, whether it be marijuana or anything else, that's going to hinder their ability to perform the duties. Let's talk about impairment, though. And again, what you've just suggested here is the standard that's already in place, obviously, and has been forever, of course, to do with anything to do with you know any kind of alcohol consumption or, as you mentioned, you know, painkillers, whatever the case might be. We get that. But with this, uh, I guess the thing that a lot of people are concerned about now, at least that I've heard of and, and read uh, some of the concerns from other police services around the country, is look at, uh, this, is, this is a bit of a different animal. I mean, you know, cannabis stays in your system a lot longer. Does that mean you're impaired if it's still in your system? And I guess that's one of the ideas that's being batted around here now. Yeah, and, and there's no exact science on this. Yeah, uh, Exactly. But- and and it's funny too, Bill, that even with alcohol, there's no exact science impairment. What we we can certainly look at um, the science behind blood alcohol levels and whatnot, and what what would constitute somebody being uh, over a legal limit. But I can tell you, I mean, I have been a breath tech. I can tell you that there are alcoholics out there who get pulled over, who show little to no signs of impairment, but come in and blow four hundred. Um, that happens, and so impairment, impairment is a subjective um, issue, and I know I've spoken with our, our drug recognition expert. She has kind of enlightened me on to some of the things that are, are taken into account. They do what's, what's called divided attention task um, um, testing, so that means that they, 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 they subject the person to a number of different tasks all at once and see if they can perform it. That's, that's probably the most significant way to, to determine impairment when it comes to marijuana but it's different for everybody and just uh the, the science itself and saying there's a particular um, amount whether it be two to five nanograms or whatever it is in your bloodstream that doesn't dictate impairment that's more of a subjective thing that that um we have to probably focus on a lot more as far as frontline supervisors go but what's impairment or the the amount of consumption to me, as a, compared to you, those those will vary as far as impairment levels go. Exactly, which is one of the reasons why I, I know there's a great deal of concern, again, about drug testing and about uh, random testing in situations like that. What's your read on that, Clint? 
Well, the testing again is going to be uh, it's going to be problematic because again the 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 single way to find out what is going on in your bloodstream and that's that's what's going to have an effect on on your performance and and your impairment. The only way to test for that is through blood, and so blood uh, test or the taking of blood is a very invasive way of um, of of determining uh, whether or not a person has anything in their system. And so that is going to be a huge problem. And it, we've talked, um, I've talked with my peers about this. I don't see it being any different as far as the the uh, authority to be able to demand uh, a blood sample. Um, no different than somebody that uh, that we, we've got under arrest. I mean, it's, it's, it's fairly... Um, it, it's not an easy thing to do, and so that I think is going to get worked out, uh, unfortunately, through litigation. Uh, that's that's what I see coming in the near future. But and I know that uh, there are some employments or employers rather that actually you know adhere to this idea about about random testing, etc. But but then again, we run into that, that roadblock that you just talked about a couple of minutes ago. It may well be in your system, but does that necessarily mean that you're impaired by that? I mean, how long ago did you take it? I mean, and, and you're getting into, I guess, really, it comes down to civil rights issues. It is. It's a constitutional uh, issue, and I just read this morning that Edmonton came out with a, uh, the same policy as Calgary. And, and I have to say this to Bill that this uh, this notion about 28 days uh, before uh, coming to work, um, the Toronto model, I, I think it's ludicrous. I think that that's nothing more than an attempt to circumvent the Constitution because I don't know of any police officers who are able to take 28 straight days off. It 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 in essence excludes. It it is it might as well be a complete ban on the usage usage. So um, you know. The, it, it, the, there's a whole bunch of other issues that come into play here. Uh, fat, and that's where uh, THC and CD, uh, CBD is stored. That is, um, it can be stored in the system through a number of different avenues, and one of them is secondhand smoke. So if you go into a house where three or four are smoking weed, uh, you're now exposed, and you have your body will now absorb uh, that those those chemicals. I don't know what to say. If there's a zero tolerance policy, are those officers supposed to walk out of there and go to their supervisor and file an IOD report and then take the next 28 days off work? I don't know how they're going to deal with that because it will show up in a test. There's no two ways about it. Well, and that's why I was concerned when I saw the Toronto policy here with Chief Saunders just talking about doing that. I mean, you and I just had a discussion a few days ago about staffing concerns uh, with police services right now. If you've got officers that are exposed to this or in some way or form actually ingest this stuff, uh, you can't afford to lose an officer for 28 days, can you? No, you can't. Or a a number of officers, maybe. You just don't know. Well, and I'll tell you, I think we're going to see, I think it's going to be like anything else. It's going to be a novelty, and you're going to see a... Uh, probably a pretty significant usage, at least publicly, you're going to see a lot of that happening, I think, right off the bat. And our officers are going to be exposed to it um, repeatedly. Um, They're being exposed to it right now, Bill, to be honest. I mean, um, you go to calls where as soon as you walk in, you know what's going on, and you're being exposed to that secondhand smoke. Um, You know, and and to add on to all of that, there's the medicinal side of it. What happens when one of these officers is prescribed medicinal marijuana? Um, it, like is, are these services uh, now taking the position that they can dictate what medication officers take? There's a lot of different issues that go with this, and that's why 
it's you know it's our position as associations and i think this is a well i know it's across the province and in fact i met with my peers um last week uh from all across the country the most pragmatic and the smartest way to go about it is the fit for duty approach absolutely and and you you make a good point here i mean let's face it uh cannabis as as a as a pain uh control uh element right now is 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 an acknowledged and in, in in many circles an accepted way of doing things and does that mean that police officers now can't do that and that's that is a concern and again are we talking about the you know the employer getting into the privacy issues surrounding uh medical information um you know that there that's pretty well established that um that an employer doesn't have the right to, to delve into the specifics of an employee's medical history and medical information. So, again, uh, the only way that, uh, you know, if you get tested and you come up positive, is it now your responsibility to explain that, well, actually, that's a prescribed medication that I'm taking. So that opens a Pandora's box. I think, again, we're, we're back full circle. I think if you show up for work, uh, no different than if uh, you know you've, you're, you're coming back from a significant injury and you've been taking uh, it could be anything oxys, morphine, you know, codeine, anything like that to suppress that pain. I would expect that you know that my officers don't show up you know ten minutes before work and they've popped four or five oxycotons. I, I don't I, that to me is just irresponsible and I, that's not what our officers are doing now. What about the jurisdictions and where, where this has already been legal? And we're talking about a couple of places down in the state, some uh, jurisdictions down there. Uh, obviously, they've had to wrestle with this. Uh, any ideas about how they've tried to handle this when it comes to police services? You know what? That's a good question. I've never looked into that uh, to to, uh, to to see what the take is um, from the states. That, I mean, there's no two ways about it. The Americans have a different approach. They have a different approach in so many different ways. So. While it would be a good barometer, I'm sure, uh, it's certainly not an approach that we would take verbatim, if you will. Um, you know, Canadian laws and Canadian um, ways of doing uh, things when it comes to employees and employers and whatnot, the charter, th- those issues I think are significantly different, but it would be a good barometer. I've just never looked into it. Well, and I, I don't know either. That's why I was asking, but you're absolutely right. I mean, even police services are treated much differently down there. Uh, it's 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 a line item on city budgets. I know it is here too, but I mean there are certain protections uh, in on this side of the border that they don't necessarily have there. I mean you know down in the states with people that are in budget crunches, some of those cities actually are laying cops and, and firefighters off, and and so I don't know how they treat this or how this has gone on or whether people get suspended or anything else. But but is is there a standard that you would like to see? And I, I know that you're on the record as suggesting that you'd like to see something done on a, on a national or a provincial as opposed to an ad hoc you know city by city policy. It, well, absolutely, and um, I've said it, and I'll say it again that I'm. A, it's it's pretty disappointing that there hasn't been that approach provincially and 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 nationally because, um, you know, we get into a different realm of issues. Um, you know, it's it's going to take some, uh, I guess, acclimation as far as getting used to the the fact that marijuana is now legal. But for these uh, people, the the younger people who are now going to, you know, seventeen. Or sorry, 18 or 19 years old, when uh, they're able to use it legally, and in three, four years, they decide they want to become police officers. 
um, it, I think it's going to have an impact on them. And going back to the staffing issue, um, it, you know, if you're going to be looking at a place that um, that has a complete ban as opposed to one that um, goes with a more pragmatic approach of fit for duty, I think you're going to see and uh, that come into play as well. People, you know, it, it's a mindset that has to change. And I, I think in two or three years, this conversation, uh, we're going to kind of look back and say, boy, that was a lot of conversation over nothing. Well, we'll see. I guess we can't. Uh, we're just talking in the in the you know speculative manner right now. But once the policy rolls out, I'm sure that we'll get down to the nitty gritty and find out just how this is going to talk about uh, roll out, and and how it's going to have an impact on on the people in your service as well. Uh, Clint, thanks so much for the time on this one today. And I know we'll talk about this again in the next couple of days once this thing is uh, down on paper. Thanks for the time, though. Well, thanks for having me. Good having you on the program. Clint Twolan, of course, the president of the Hamilton Police Association. And and by the way, we're talking about police services, but this is a, a policy that's obviously going to impact, as we said, other essential services and every other workplace for that matter, too. I think each and every company is now going to have to have some sort of a policy as to just how this is going to have an impact on their employees. So uh, we'll certainly talk about this a lot more in the days and weeks and probably months ahead. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.